Brilliant. Thanks, man. Let's, uh, let's pray together as we come to look at God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, are very aware because of our news, because of the world we live in, that all is not right. There's anger, there's sadness, there's grief, there's fear. So please, as we come to your word, speak truth, speak hope, speak life into our hearts. And wherever we are with you, please help us to see why Jesus is the one we need in the world we live in, for his name's sake. Amen. Now, don't you feel that our, our world needs healing? I mean, how can you say, listen to the news just over the last week, and not think there's something a bit sick about our world? You know, a world where men will take a, a van they've hired, or a car, and run people over, and then leap out and stab them to death. A world where potentially something like 70 people are burnt to death in a tower block, largely because, well, it was too much money to put the alarm or the sprinkler system in. Some of the poorer people in our society, let's just put the flammable cladding on the outside. Don't you think there's something rather sick with our world? We don't have to look at the news, do you, to, to know our world is sick. If, if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, there's illness, there's crime, there's unemployment... There are broken relationships. And even if you manage to pull off a life of sort of wealth, health, and happiness, then death gets you in the end. And I, just let me ask you a question. How are you, at this present moment in time, responding to the reality of the world we live in? So I look out this morning and I see a few empty seats here and a few empty seats here, and I see there's some faces. And I'll tell you how some people have responded today. It's sunny. We've gone to the beach. Perhaps we'll pretend it's just not happening. We'll just get on. I was uh, chatting to someone, a bloke last week. He, he said that he'd been to a 30th birthday party and what some of his non-Christian friends were doing, they were moving to the country. Because, I mean, you don't get attacked by terrorists in the country, do you? <laughs> said he'd even listen to the archers, mate. It's lethal out there. <laughs> uh, my, my wife, Boo, was chatting to another woman. Her response to the Kensington fire check my smoke alarms I'm going to take control of my life I can make a life where those things just won't happen to me I was reading a book by uh, I'm reading at the moment by the former consultant neurologist brain surgeon at St George's Hospital it makes me look intelligent by reading a book about a brain surgeon he goes on a run every day Henry Marsh listen to what he says about his run his daily run I rarely enjoy it I find it considerable effort, and my body feels stiff and leaden. But I do it for fear of old age, and because exercise is supposed to postpone dementia. Is that you? Fighting off the inevitable? Because our passage today faces us, I think, with two of our greatest fears. Serious illness and death. And it puts them into the storyline of the Bible. You see, the storyline of the Bible is the reality of the world we live in. It starts with a world of wholeness, a world of health, a world of peace. Those are God's gifts to humanity. But they're tragically destroyed. Because as human beings, we reject our loving creator. They're destroyed by the way we choose self-rule and self-love over a God who cares for us. 
And so the result is, the Bible says, God has turned his face of blessing away from us, and now we are under his curse. We live in a world that is cursed. You see, we live in the world that we've made, not the world that God made. But even as God announces his punishment for the way that we've rejected him, our rebellion, he promises that he's going to send a healer. A man who'll crush the evil in the world. Who'll bring reconciliation with God. A saviour for our world. And Mark chapter 1 verse 1 announces that he's arrived. That's what we saw a few weeks ago. It begins the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he walks through the pages of Mark's gospel, Jesus demonstrates he has power to heal our world. He shows he's going to deliver on everything that God has promised. All that we long for in life is found in this man. He'll bring us life and peace. And the question, of course, is what will we do with him? What are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Will we trust him or will we reject him? Will we trust him or or try to take control in our lives once again? And so we're going to see just three things from those two accounts that we've just had read. Three things about how it is that faith in Jesus can conquer our fears in the sick world we live in. Here's the first thing that we need to do. We need to see your desperate position. See your desperate position. Now, I don't think anything's more heartbreaking, is it, than a a parent facing the death of a child. That's uh, what Connie Gates and... Uh, Chris Gard find themselves doing this weekend. They've got till Monday evening to convince the court that it should let their little boy Charlie go to the States to receive treatment. Jairus probably had less time than them. Look what happens, verse 22 of Mark chapter 5. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. This is an important man begging a traveling preacher. The synagogue wasn't just the center of religious teaching in the the Jewish town. It was the center of community life. The the synagogue ruler was quite an important guy. And now he finds himself literally helpless. He, He says to Jesus, my daughter is at the end. That's what the words are, literally. And instantly, you want what he wants, don't you? Don't you want what he wants? As a parent, children make you feel helpless at the best of times. That was Andy's and Vicky's experience with Alexander, wasn't it? Suddenly your kid has a raging temperature and I just can't get it down. What do you do? You believe as a parent that you can construct an environment that guarantees your kids are going to flourish. But, but you can't. And nothing robs you of that reality as quickly as serious illness. And so what happens? Jesus goes with him. A large crowd followed and pressed Round him. It's the authenticity of Mark's account here, probably because it's come for the Apostle Peter. He's in that crowd as they press in around Jesus. But, but there's one woman in the crowd who's keeping her head down. Did you see her in verse 25? And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Probably some form of menstrual hemorrhage. And bleeding, you see, it wasn't just a medical issue. According to the Old Testament law, bleeding made you richly unclean. That, that meant you couldn't go into the temple to enjoy worshipping God. And actually it meant that you couldn't even go into the town or village to enjoy relationships with your, with your friends or family. This is the first time probably that this woman has been in a crowd of people for something like a decade. 
And do you see how Mark emphasizes that her situation is, is helpless? It's hopeless. Look at what he says in verse 26. Sorry if you're a doctor. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Suffered under the care of a, a bunch of quacks. Crooked doctors who'd, who'd taken all her money and, well, they just increased her pain. Helpless and hopeless. Illness and death leave us feeling both, don't they? We're, we're robbed of our dreams with those words from the consultant, I'm afraid it's cancer. As the fire was uh, raging in the tower blocks in the tower block in Kensington, did you hear that quote from Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London? We live in hope. And I found myself thinking, why? What evidence? Why live in hope? What evidence do you have that you're going to be able to get the people out of, out of the upper stories of the tower block? See, hope in our future, hope in humanity's future must require some sort of evidence, mustn't it? That things are somehow getting better. But the, all the evidence is that one day, sooner or later, we will all face death. One day someone will say of us, my, my wife, my, my husband is at the end. My, my father, my mother is at the end. My friend, or even tragically they might say of us, my son, my daughter is at the end. And the only reason that they won't say that of us is because the end has come so quickly that no one knew it was going to happen. And death isn't natural, you know. The world wants to tell you death's natural. It doesn't feel like it's natural when you've lost someone who's died. And when the Bible talks about death, it's, it's not talking just about the breath going out of our lungs or our, our heart stopping beating. No, no, it's talking about afterwards as well. A future without love, an eternal death, a future under the righteous anger of the God we failed to love. You see, we're helpless. Helpless to live, as Andy's already said, live the lives that we should now. To be the, the people God created us to be, calls us to be. And we're hopeless. Hopeless in the face of death. We're all at the end. We just don't know when the end will come. The last month must have taught you that, mustn't it? Your end, your child's end, your friend's end, any time. So, so where do most people go when they're helpless and hopeless? I think most people just get on with life. You know, another holiday, another day out with the kids, another day in the office, whatever they can do because they just hope that it won't happen to them. But let me tell you, it happens. And the start of finding hope in our sick world is to admit that I'm helpless and I'm hopeless on my own, like, like Jairus, like, like this woman does. And then here's the second thing we need to see. You need to seek Jesus with a determined faith. Seek Jesus with a determined faith. You see, this, this woman believes there's only one place to go. She, she has to sneak through the crowd from, from behind, hoping she's unnoticed by the people who are looking forward, focused on Jesus. Because if the people see her and recognize her, well, they'll reject her. They'll, they'll take her and they'll put her back outside the town because she's unclean. Maybe if Jesus sees her, he'll reject her. I mean, what would a, a holy man want with a, a richly unclean woman? But, but only if she can just reach out. If she can just touch him. 
what happens in verse 28? If I touch his clothes, I will be healed, she thought. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her, in her body that she was freed from her suffering. There's, there's no delay. Do you know what it literally says? It literally says, in her body she knew the spring of blood had become dry. It's both graphic and glorious. She's freed. Not just from pain and distress, but freed now to go back and enjoy relationship with God. Freed to enjoy relationships of love with the people that she's not been able to be with for for so long. Freed to live life. But there's a lesson. There's a lesson that she needs to learn and the crowd needs to learn. Because in verse 30 we read, At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Now I'm presuming that the man in chapter 2 and 3 of Mark, who's known exactly what his enemies are thinking, doesn't actually need to physically identify this woman. But she needs to come forward for her sake. And the disciples think Jesus is off his rocker. What do you mean who touched you? Everyone's touching you. We're in the middle of a crowd, mate. Of course you're being touched. But, but this woman needs reassuring. She needs accepting. She needs to know that she is welcomed. And so we read in verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. How is he going to react? Being touched by an unclean person made you unclean. But, but you see, when you come in faith and you touch the perfect Son of God, well, the results are very different. You find a compassionate healing. Verse 34, Jesus said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. <laughs> she hadn't been called daughter for years. Jairus has a daughter. We've met him. He loves her. But, but this woman... Jesus says, you're a daughter too. You have a God who loves you. You have a a friend. It's not her superstition that's healed her. You know, a bit like putting a a picture of a saint on the wall or clutching a crystal in your pocket. No, it's her faith in Jesus Christ that has healed her. And actually, it's not even the strength of her faith. Remember, she snuck up on Jesus and afterwards she's terrified how he might react. This is not a woman who understands or knows everything about Jesus Christ, but what she knows is enough that he's the only one who can help me. I've got to go to him. Oh, we we don't know. Perhaps she'd been watching some of the other things going on in Mark. Perhaps she'd seen Jesus tell the paralyzed man in Mark 2 to get up and seen him get up. Perhaps she'd been there in the the synagogue in Capernaum. Maybe Jairus was there too and seen Jesus cast the demon out of the man. We don't know what they've seen, but they've seen enough to know I've got to take my problems to Jesus. And what happens? She leaves with the words, go in peace. The pain of 12 years replaced by a future peace with God. She saw her desperate need. She seeks Jesus. Will you? That's the question for all of us, isn't it? Would you? The tragedy is so many people think they have to be their own saviour. It's the message of the world, isn't it? No, you can do it. Really, leave off the Ribena, get a decent education, you can do it. It's the message of Disney. Dream your dreams. Go for it. You can do it. Be who you are. I was talking to a young woman recently whose mother left her when she was younger. 
Her, her father's response was to commit suicide. I guess very understandably, in the relational chaos she'd grown up in, she became pregnant by a man as a teenager, a man who hasn't bothered to see his child for the last two and a half years. But do you know what the greatest tragedy of this woman's life is? She's reading the book, The Secret. Do you know the book, The Secret? It's a best-selling book, and it suggests this. If you long for something enough, if you really want it, if you really, really want it and try, you'll get it. Do you know why it's best-selling? That's what so many people believe. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, isn't it? You think, oh, no, you know, I will now long for an extension. It sounds ridiculous. But actually, that's the way most of us live our lives. It's the way I live our life. A lot of the time, I think I can save myself. Sometimes I think I can save you, which is totally nuts. I think I can. I can do it. No, I can't. I can't be the man I want. I can't be the pastor I want to be. I can't be the husband I want to be. I can't be the father I want to be. I can't protect my children from themselves. I can't protect my children from others. I can't protect my children from me. And I have no answer to the biggest problem we all face. Death followed by God's judgment. And if you think you can sort out your life, you're just being naive. That's what Jairus is confronted with. Did you see it in verse 35? While Jesus was still speaking, some people from the home of Jairus, the synagogue leader, came. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? (laughs) They're the words apparent, I guess, dreads hearing most. I don't know whether these messengers are just unbelievably tactless. I guess that they're delivered with that bluntness. You know when you hear some dreadful news, you've got to tell someone else, and you're running through your mind. They've probably been doing it since they left Jairus' house. We've just got to do this sensitively. We've just got to say the right thing, and bang, you're there in front of them, and it just comes out. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother him anymore. Probably the moment they said it, they thought, But But if what they say is insensitive, what Jesus says is just cruel, isn't it? Would you ever say this to someone who's just lost a child? Don't be afraid. Just believe. Of course he's afraid. His whole world has just come crashing down around him. Like those who, who know they had loved ones living in the tops of those flats in the, in the block in Kensington. Like those who've lost their children as they tried to escape and now found that they're dead. This is an outrageous thing for Jesus to say. It's outrageous unless he can do something about it. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And Jairus chooses to believe him. And this is the last thing. You you see, we need to see our desperate position. We need to seek Jesus with a determined faith. But in the end, it's not about us. We need to be saved by divine power. It's about him. Because in verse 37, Jesus takes a, a few of his closest followers, Peter, James, and John, uh, this is not some sort of healing road show that Jesus has come to do. He's not gathering a big crowd, like, come and see the next miracle. No, this is a, it's a desperate, uh, a deeply personal family moment. He, he just takes a few people. 
And when he gets to the house, well, the, the funeral directors, they're already there. The professional mourners, they've set up the chant for wailing. And what does Jesus say, verse 39? He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Of course they did. I mean, they know a corpse when they see one. But, but for the Lord of life, death is not the end. So Jesus throws out the wailers and he, he takes his few disciples and, and the mum and the dad and they go up to where this, this little girl's dead body is lying. Peaceful, probably, still. And we read in verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Literally, little lamb. The powerful son of God. The the one who the Bible tells us by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. Tenderly reaches down and he takes this dead girl's hand and he speaks words of life into her. Talithakum. Little girl, get up. And because Jesus is the one who said it, immediately the girl stood up. And began to walk around. She was 12 years old. He raises the dead as as easily as you or I might wake a sleeping child. This girl had had only lived as long as the woman in the crowd had suffered. But, But now both of them have a future ahead of them. Cured from illness, freed from death. I love the last verse here. It's so practical. Uh, He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. That's what you need if you've been dead, a snack. (laughs) This this wasn't news you could keep quiet, was it? But, But we've already seen in Mark's gospel, Jesus hasn't come just to be a popular healer, just to try and make the life you want better. No, he's come to declare his kingdom, to proclaim that, and then to prove it, to demonstrate it by doing amazing miracles. He's come to say, this is what the future world that I've come to bring in looks like. Now turn from your self-love and self-rule and follow me. Because you don't need to tell me. You don't need me to tell you, do you, that the Bible never promises the Christian a life without illness or death. You don't need me to tell you that. But you might need me to remind you, it does promise you a future without them. Because Jesus grasps death by the hand here in this little bedroom. But in Mark's gospel, he's heading to a place where he's going to embrace death for us. At the cross, Jesus takes our death. Not simply the physical tragedy of death, but he takes our spiritual death. He takes upon himself the punishment, the just punishment that we deserve for the way we've deliberately wrecked our relationship with God, the way we walk through life selfishly wrecking our relationships with each other, even the way we're wrecking our world. And Jesus takes death and he smashes it. He bursts out of the tomb on the third day, raised to resurrection life. It's the greatest miracle in history. He never dies again. It's actually hinted here in verse 41 when Jesus says to the little girl, get up. Literally, he says, be raised. See, Mark 5 is like a trailer of the future that is ours if we come to Jesus. The words in verse 23, 24, 
4, 28 and 34, be healed, they're actually the words saved. Saved from an eternity in a world that we live in now, a world of sin and death, and saved from an eternity being punished for it. Freed, that's what Jesus says in 29 and 34, freed for a world of life and peace. Freed by a tender God to know him now. Freed by the God who in the person of his son comes to give up his life so we might have life. Comes to conquer death so we will know our death is not the end. So so let me ask you again. Did you feel like our world needs healing? How are you going to sort that out? What, What are you doing? Taking control of your life? Pretending it's not happening? Well, the message of the Bible is God feels like our world needs healing. And he's done something about it. He sent his son so that all who will put their faith in him, who will trust in him, will be saved for a perfect new world. And will know his security and protection and love as they have to walk through the mess of this world. And you might say, well, why hasn't God sorted it out yet? Why didn't he sort it out before Wednesday night in Kensington? Well, the Bible says that's because he is waiting Waiting so that more people will come and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and will experience his saving power before he holds us all to account for the way that we've lived. Waiting so more people can have life and peace before they face death and judgment. So let me ask you, what would you do in the face of a world, of a life that needs healing? Will you do what these guys do? Will you admit your desperate need? Not just that you're helpless to be the the person that you should be, that you want to be, but you're hopeless as you look to death and facing a God who will hold you to account. And are you willing to, to come to Jesus, to seek him in faith? The one who died for you and, and rose to give you life? Will you come and be saved by his wonderful, beautiful, gracious, giving, loving, divine power? Will you come to him? If if, if you want to do that this morning, when we finish the service, I'm going to go and sit through in what they call the art and lounge. You go past the entrance desk and turn right. I'm going to have some booklets in there, little, little booklets that simply talk about the real Jesus, the one who is the only hope for our world. Why not come and talk to me this morning? Why not do that rather than just leave as though you really can sort it out? And what about us who know Jesus here today? Do you know what he says to us? He says to us in the midst of our fears, he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid in the face of illness. Even in the face of death, just believe. I visited a senior guy in our church who's suffering from cancer at the moment this week. And what happens over the next few months is very uncertain in his life. But his future with Jesus is certain. And his strength today is in Jesus. And so do you know what he he can say? Because he knows his future is a perfect world without suffering. He can say, well, God's perfect will will be done in my life. And because he knows that death is not the end... No, he doesn't want to die. He wants to live. But, but he knows one day, like that little girl, he will hear from the Lord Jesus, be raised, and he will experience forever with a perfect, cancer-free, resurrection body in the presence of his loving Savior. 
See, Jesus is a compassionate Savior. The one who gives life out of death and peace in the face of pain and suffering. So if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today, in the face of your fear, turn to him. Don't turn into yourself. Isn't that what we so often do? Don't turn to yourself. Because you are weak and you are helpless. And on your own, you are hopeless. But turn to him. And is that what you're offering others in the face of our sick world? Because people are talking about stuff, aren't they? They're talking about terrorism and tower blocks. They're getting angry about it. What are you offering them in the face of that? Because we are people who know help and hope. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've tried to imagine and, and, and been totally unable the heartache of those people who are standing at the, the bottom of that tower block in Kensington as, as the fire went up it. Have you thought how awful that must have been? Seen the lights, the people waving the windows and the upper stories. Well, we have a message of rescue for our world. And the great news is that we have it before the fire has started. We have a message that there is one who's come to heal our sick world, one who has the power to end all our pain because he went through excruciating pain for us, one who has the power to take anyone through death because he rose for in life. We have the news of rescue for our world. So if you believe that, Will you live in a way of faith that shows your children that nothing is more important to you than Jesus? And will your friends know that nothing is more secure for you than Jesus? And will your family know that everything is orientated around Jesus because he is your help and he is your hope? Will you help them come from a life of fear and death to a life of faith and life and peace? We can see people rescued because we know the Savior. Let's pray together. Maybe just take a few moments to bring some of your fears before the Lord. Maybe it's a fear in the face of illness. Maybe it's some circumstance in your life. Maybe it's for your kids. Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. Our Father in heaven, please strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered death and taken our death for us, that we might not fear our future because we know it is in your hands, and we might not fear our present because we know that you are here with us, and so we will be able to boldly share the great news that there is a rescuer, and there is healing for our world, and there is a future world to come that is not like this one, that others might come to know faith in the midst of their fear. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.